Welcome to the Perspectives on Healthcare podcast, where members of the medical community from different roles, venues, and locations share their unique perspectives on quality healthcare, its future, and how to improve it. Now, from the Your Keynote Speaker Studio in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, here is your host, Rob Oliver. Thank you. Today's perspective comes from Jennifer Reed. She is a psychiatrist in private practice. She is uh, practicing out in Philadelphia. And uh, although I will just mention this, she is originally from North Dakota, which may give her a unique viewpoint um, with the mixture of both the Midwest and the East Coast viewpoint. Uh, Her expertise is in anxiety disorders, insomnia, interpersonal conflict, loss, and transition. She is a member of Generation X. Uh, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your role in healthcare, please. Absolutely. Well, I think I should mention the North Dakota background in that both my father and grandfather were general practitioners in rural North Dakota. So family medicine, when they saw, as they still do all ages, but all comers and across so many different challenges, right? They staff the ERs themselves, essentially. And so I was able to sort of see that perspective, at least as the daughter of a physician um, on call and traveling into the hospital in the middle of the nights and things growing up and saw how my father was integrated into the community as a physician. So that certainly influenced my interest in medicine. And in fact, I did initially match into internal medicine, but really realized that the patient's stories, their narratives, their, you know, ways of coping with their illness and with the life around them was much more interesting to me. So I did transition into psychiatry after my first year of residency. And I've worked across a number of different roles in part because I was waiting for my husband to finish his training when I was in LA. And so worked for LA County caring for largely patients in West LA who didn't have insurance or were underinsured, maybe unstable housing, a lot of substance abuse issues. Um, I've worked in New York City, in Midtown, working with sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, people in professional roles who were really challenged by the stressors that life brought them, and also, you know, anxiety, depression, other issues, and then was at the University of Pennsylvania for about five years, working in their outpatient division, and then was the medical director there for a couple of years, but also consulted with the family medicine department. So I got to sort of go to their clinics and really connect with the residents on particular challenges they were having related to psychiatry, and then also in the oncology clinic there. Um, at the University of Pennsylvania, and that allowed me to really work with patients who are trying to cope with their cancer diagnosis or even going into remission from cancer and trying to cope with that sort of looming dread of recurrence, right? So now I'm in private practice, so I've worn a lot of different hats. I like the variety, and I think that shows you as a psychiatrist how many different roles you can have. Um, I enjoy private practice because I can take the time I want with patients. I can really devote time and energy to do both medication and psychotherapy, which I think is the best combination. And to find it in a singular provider can be really helpful for some patients. Not all want that, but I think it's a great option to have available and less common these days when it comes to psychiatrists. 
And then in part, you know, similar to maybe some of the things you're trying to share, I really felt like I wanted to reach a broader audience with some of the practical aspects of what I teach my patients in every session about managing anxiety, managing insomnia. And so that's why I had started doing some writing and also my own podcast where I interview, you know, healthcare providers as well about their experiences and also hear their personal story, which is so interesting. So a lot of different roles, I think has given me a unique perspective, also geographic, you know, places lived in North Dakota and New York and Los Angeles and Madison, Wisconsin. So been all over the country a bit. And I think it's given me that overall perspective on healthcare. Sure. I, can you just comment briefly on, are there, are there things that you see that are common threads throughout all of the different areas that you have served both geographically and um, as far as the, the, type of, the type of patients that you're working with? And on the other side of that, are there things that you notice that are you know, more common in rural um, settings or maybe more common in the, on the West Coast? Can you just talk about you know, what are the commonalities and what are the differences that you've seen going through all of the, the different areas that you've worked? Absolutely. So I think commonalities in part, unfortunately, is still the stigma around mental health. And the separation of kind of mental health and physical health, you know, they're working toward parity from insurance providers and reimbursements, but at the same time, just parity in mindset among the individuals, people who may be really hesitant to take a medication to help with their significant anxiety that's really constricting their lives, but they're willing to take a blood pressure medication without that feeling of shame, like it's something they should be able to pull themselves out of or fix on their own. And I think that's a common theme across all locations where I've been. I do think generationally, it's interesting you ask which generation we are as providers, but I think generationally there's been a shift in a little bit more openness about experiences. I think you've actually seen, you know, celebrities, athletes talking about their mental health, which I really always am so impressed because that's a lot to put out there. So I think that's a commonality I hear a lot. I'm hoping it can change. Again, part of me speaking out as a psychiatrist is that I'm just like any other provider. These are specific areas I can help with. There are you know, meds or other treatments to treat symptoms that are bothering you or interfering with your life. Just the same as if you were coming in with, my husband does hip and knee replacements. You're coming in with knee pain. How do we address this? You're coming in with some emotional pain. How do we address it? So I think that commonality is, is really striking. As far as differences go, I mean, I think just in different settings across these different locations, I certainly see differences in severity of illness. You know, the, the really sad differences I may see are people, for example, in the LA County system who are unstably housed and maybe have chronic mental illness also have such a significant history of trauma. And you hear that really across the board in people with more severe mental illness or who are struggling more with some of the, you know, social challenges, structural racism and difficulties that way are commonly describing significant trauma throughout their past. And I think you're not hearing that as much from people who are, you know, working in a professional setting, have been able to navigate. They don't have as many of these uh, traumas. Of course, many do. But I do think that's one area that the more we work we can do and study we can do on how to really help people who've had recurrent multiple traumas in different ways across their life, how to really help them as opposed to punishing them by, 
you know, putting them in prison for having a mental health emergency and not having the proper access. And then, you know, maybe they're, you know, brought in by police who are increasingly being trained in these areas, of course. But, you know, it's not like having a psychiatrist or, you know, other trained mental health professional available for each of these calls. Got it. Thank you. What does quality healthcare mean to you? Yeah, so I think that recognizing the you know, limit in the number of psychiatrists that are available, there truly is a shortage. I'd written a piece on this and it was striking the numbers that I saw, especially in rural areas. And so I do think quality healthcare is access and access to the necessary degree of treatment that people may need, right? So there are increasingly, and I think, you know, because there's financial boon in some of these digital psychotherapy deliveries or online psychotherapy, we want to have quality in people who are well-trained in providing psychotherapy because it does take time and practice and supervision from a trained professional. So I do think we want that I think quality healthcare is individualized and specific for the individual. It's finding, you know, individualized focused care in a timely manner. And when it comes to mental health, that's such a challenge. I get, you know, requests every day for patients that are looking for care that I can't accommodate in my small private practice. I help them connect with referrals, but it's a fractured referral system. And if you're looking for providers who take insurance, a lot of times, including me as psychiatrists in private practice, we're not taking insurance outright. You can submit paperwork to your insurance provider, but there are a lot of hoops to jump through. And I think quality would be availability of reimbursements for psychiatrists that allow us to take insurance and really allow patients to use that for their care. Okay. Um, and you kind of answered this question in what you just said, but um, can you give me an example of quality healthcare? Well, I think that I recognize, you know, from an equity standpoint, the patients that are able to see me in my private practice maybe have the, you know, income support, they have the availability, they have the way of, of searching for and finding me. So I recognize that it, you know, equity is not present at this time in mental health treatment. It just isn't. And one of the reasons I am trying to speak out is finding other ways to deliver this evidence-based information to individuals short of seeing them one-on-one in my practice. So I think examples of what I do in my practice, when people are seeing me there, I'm able to see them for a full psychotherapy session. I'm able to see them as frequently as they need. And I can take the time that I want and I'm able to get back to them because I keep my practice a size that I can quickly respond to my patients' needs. There are many, many providers that just simply don't have that luxury, in fact, in that they're so busy. They're trying to see people really frequently. Some of the reimbursement challenges in psychiatry mean that they're having to see patients every 15 minutes or 20 minutes Mm. in order to sustain the financial stability of the clinic or the other location. So there are many that just don't have that opportunity. I do think finding more novel delivery systems for psychiatric or mental health care is important. That's why I wanted to learn how to be an integrated provider, a consultant in some of these other areas. That's certainly a growing field. There's a terrific program at Penn where they have psychiatrists embedded in the inpatient units and really help support the teams there, which is fantastic. And I think more of that, you know, potentially needs to happen to have these examples of the kind of quality care I can provide for my patients in my setting but I can nowhere reach the need that's out there. Okay. What do you wish people understood about your role in healthcare? Well, I think, 
you know, having psychiatrists as consultants can be so incredibly helpful because we can comment on the psychodynamic processes in using treatments and taking medications and doing what they're asked to do, right? So we're asking a lot of our patients sometimes in prescribing medications that may have side effects, prescribing medications that make the patient feel like, you know, a failure, like they're not doing the right things, right? We're talking with them about, you know, trying to lose weight, trying to exercise more, some of these areas, and really understanding how to help motivate patients and really help them take action. You know, some of the motivational interviewing techniques we use in psychiatry, I think can really help with adherence to treatments, really helping patients work through some of the challenges they have or some of the limitations, you know, they have in wanting to take the recommended treatments, for example. Uh, But also working with some of the comorbidities that make other health issues worse, right? If someone's struggling with a lot of anxiety and their comfort mechanism is to eat, you know, sweets or carbohydrates or have some binge eating episodes as a way to cope with that anxiety, well, yeah, it's going to be a lot harder for them to lose weight as recommended for their blood pressure, right? But to not address that anxiety, not address some of those issues with self-confidence or self-esteem or body image means that you're fighting a really uphill battle, as a maybe diabetes provider who's trying to help get their blood sugars down, right? Or if they're not well treated with their sleep apnea, that's going to be really difficult for them to lose weight. So again, looking at the way we can collaborate as providers. Also that psychiatrists psychiatrists do see patients for psychotherapy. And I think a really big one is that this false dichotomy between mentally ill and mentally healthy and that it really is a spectrum. We all have times in our lives when we're struggling with maybe more anxiety, a lower mood, having a difficult time getting going. Many people are experiencing kind of a languishing experience during the COVID pandemic. So I think really seeing a psychiatrist as someone that can be an important part of the team doesn't indicate that you are you know, quote, crazy, quote, which I really find um, a frustrating word to hear because, you know, we're all trying to reach some level of mental health and maintain it over the years. Yeah, so true. What excites you about the future of healthcare? Well, I think within my particular field, there are some really novel treatments coming out that I think are really interesting. What I always say to patients when we're using the different medications that can help with depression or anxiety or more you know, serious mental health challenges, it, there really are so many limitations of the meds. It's not the patient per se. So if I need to prescribe more than one med in combination for someone, it really just demonstrates the limitation of our medications. Not that the patient is too sick or not doing the right thing. And so there's frustration when the medications, my tools and my tool belt cause so many side effects, have so many problems, right? And so some of the things coming out like transmagnetic stimulation, which is using a very strong magnet to stimulate particular parts of the brain, which is non-invasive. You just kind of sit with this magnet for a short period of time has really demonstrated some benefit. There was a recent... Um, trial done with the Stanford neuromodulation program where they really were doing these very rapid bursts, theta bursts of these, this magnetic pulse to the, from X, from outside, there's no um, intervention there that, that invades the brain at all, for example, but really just can help with some symptoms of depression, treatment, resistant depression, people who haven't responded to medications and the side effects are so benign. 
You don't see mm. potential weight gain or, you know, uh, sexual side effects or some of the other side effects that people can experience with our medications. And also, honestly, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy, I think is a really fascinating field. In fact, I'm having someone on my podcast today, I'm speaking with later about how she's providing that within her clinic, but, you know, using things like psilocybin, you know, mushroom, uh, the medication or the medication or drug that's found in mushrooms that people may use recreationally, not legally, um, but also, you know, MDMA or ketamine, some of these options where we're really looking at, can these hallucinogens be used in the setting of a controlled environment with supportive psychotherapy techniques? And really the, the data so far in some of these smaller trials is pretty striking. Not only for efficacy, but how quickly it can be helpful for patients. And that's another flaw of our meds. They take a while. Yeah. So these are some of the areas I'm excited about. Sounds good. I, there are two things that you said there that I, kind of struck me. And one is that the medications sometimes take a while. And the second is that sometimes people are having to weigh up for themselves. Are the benefits of the medications that are being prescribed more valuable than the side effects are detrimental. So it's a, that's mm -hmm. a tough decision that people have to make. Uh, last question for you. What is one thing medical professionals can start doing today to improve the quality of healthcare? Mm. Well, if you'll forgive me, I may have two answers for that as opposed to one. I think the first really is being able to take care of themselves. I think the number, the intensity of burnout among healthcare professionals, particularly women in medicine, for example, you know, women in nursing and other areas is so high. And that's really concerning because we are having people leave the field altogether, cutting back on hours. So I think really addressing physician burnout from a systemic standpoint would be important. There are only so many things that physicians can do individually to make changes that help with burnout. But I do think having a focus on the self in addition to your patients and family, right? Not putting yourself dead last, but trying to, you know, maybe speak with someone like me about some of the challenges you're having or work with a coach, those kinds of things. I think connected to that, though, is for physicians to really have a seat at the table in the broader healthcare landscape to be able to discuss some of the changes that would help with decreasing rates of burnout, improving healthcare delivery, and I think getting their voices out there. There's such a huge wellness industry now. It is a big money industry, but are there enough physicians out there really describing evidence-based recommendations, you know, putting the, the word out? So I'm really encouraging you know, and, and doing it myself, trying to to speak on these you know podcasts and writing to try and share some of the evidence-based information that we do share with our patients, but maybe to a broader audience to increase people's access to healthcare and even a preventative mental health approach in knowing some of this information. Excellent. I, I think it's a, a valuable reminder of the need for everyone to take care of themselves as they care for others. And, and I think it really, it brings up a broader question. And, and the question is who cares for the caregivers really that that's, that's it. Um, and it's a, it's a, a major issue, I think, in all mm -hmm. aspects of people who are, you know, these days you talk about leadership and so much is talked about with the concept of servant leadership, right? And um, th who serves the people that are serving in, in that capacity. Mm -hmm. So very interesting concepts. So listen, Jennifer Reed, thank you so much for being with me today, and thank you for being willing to share your perspective on healthcare. 
Thanks for listening to Perspectives on Healthcare. Visit perspectivesonhealthcare.com to learn more about Rob Oliver or to subscribe so you never miss an episode. If this podcast was valuable, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes. Or if you tell a friend or coworker about the show, that would be helpful too. Join us again next time for more Perspectives on Healthcare.